Someone has said, the reason so many people come to church at Easter is because they are wondering, is it true? Did a man really rise from the dead? And the reason so few come back the next Sunday is because they have concluded, even if he did rise from the dead, it doesn't matter in my life. In this podcast, we'll hear Mark tell us just why Jesus rising from the dead matters in our life and, typical Mark, He will tell us in just two brief verses. We begin with prayer. Jesus, your death brought us life, and your rising from the dead proclaims that heaven's doors are open wide. Help us to live in that Easter confidence until the day when faith becomes sight and we stand in your glory. Amen. See what a morning gloriously bright we sing in one of our Easter songs, only... It didn't start out that way, did it? The apostles are nowhere to be found. John alone was at the cross, but now he too has joined the others huddled somewhere in fear. The women are here again, just as they had been at the cross in Jesus' final hours. They are still devoted to him, even when they think he is dead. They had witnessed Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take his lifeless body down from the cross They saw the deep gash in his side where the soldier, with a plunge of his spear, made sure their work was done. They watched as Joseph and Nicodemus wrapped about 75 pounds of fragrant powder into the strips of cloth as they wrapped Jesus' body from head to foot and tied a piece of cloth over his face. But somehow the small fortune Nicodemus had spent on those powders wasn't enough, so these ladies purchased more. They must have thought the men rushed to finish the job before sundown on Friday, so the the ladies wanted to rewrap the linens. They didn't want his body to stink. Chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? When they are almost at the tomb, one of them realized they have forgotten a very small detail, actually, a very large detail. How are we going to get at the body? How are we going to move that stone? In those days, they would often repurpose old millstones for this. They would set them above the entrance to a tomb, and a couple of men would use a pry bar of sorts to to get that stone rolling down a track. And once it dropped into place, a dozen men would struggle to move it out. Once it went thud, it was there to stay. But surprise! When the women got to the tomb, this wasn't a problem at all. That huge stone had been tossed aside. Verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. 
He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Typical Mark. In just a handful of short sentences, he sums up what Easter is all about, what Jesus rising from the dead means for our lives. Don't be afraid. How could you be afraid ever again? Every sin has been paid for. God is on our side now. And if God is for us, who or what could be against us? Death itself has been conquered. If Jesus could keep his promise of laying down his life and taking it up again, he will certainly have no problem keeping his promise to raise you and me from our graves. He is risen. He is not here, cold and dead in a grave. He is alive. He is out there. See, he has left behind in the tomb not just these useless strips of linen, but all of our sin. Yes, from God's point of view, and that's the only point of view that matters, all my sins were placed on Jesus during those awful hours on the cross, and he took their full punishment. All the hurts I have caused others, all my harsh words, my self-centered, me-first attitude that has infected me every step of my life, all of those things Jesus took on himself and paid the penalty. And when he rose from the grave, he left all of my sins behind. Instead of punishment, I have pardon. My debts of yesterday, of today, of tomorrow, have all been paid. On his cross, he said, it is finished. And his resurrection proves it. He is alive. And so, we will never be alone again. I, I know, we still will have troubles in this life. But don't be afraid, because he rules. And he will work all things together for our good. Don't be afraid. The troubles of this life cannot begin to compare to the glory he has won for us. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. Well, why did the angels single out Peter by name? Do you remember early in our study of Mark, we said most scholars are confident that Mark's gospel is based on the preaching and teaching of Peter, that the gospel is based on Mark's transcripts of Peter's sermons. If that is the case, I wonder if Peter got a little choked up when he got to this part. Remember how Peter had boasted he would never forsake Jesus, that he would die with him if need be. But instead, Peter crumbles in the high priest's courtyard when he's questioned by a servant girl, and he denies with oaths and curses that he even knows Jesus. Yes, he failed Jesus miserably, just as we so often do in our discipleship. Go, the angel says, and tell the disciples, especially Peter, that sins are forgiven, paid for, erased from the records. Go and tell them, especially Peter, that they are still Jesus' disciples. I heard someone suggest, when you read that sentence, when you get to, and Peter, substitute your name. Ready? 
go and tell his disciples, and though we have failed our Jesus again and again, he still speaks our name in love, letting us know all is forgiven. He still calls us his disciples. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. Some have asked, why Galilee? Isn't Jesus going to appear to them in the upper room in Jerusalem this very evening? And some have suggested that Galilee was where the disciples would get back to their daily living. And so what Jesus is is saying here is that he's promising that as we go back to our lives, he's already there ahead of us. And, And that certainly fits with Scripture and with his other promises, I am with you always. I wonder if there's also another more obvious explanation. For the angel goes on, There you will see him, that is in Galilee, just as he told you. Before he died, Jesus had told his disciples, After it is over, I will meet you in Galilee. It's as if the angel were saying, Ladies, I know this wasn't on your radar. I know this is a big surprise, but it shouldn't have been. Whether it is uncertainty about your health or your wealth, about your job or your relationships, uncertainty produces anxiety. In these uncertain days, aren't you glad you don't need to rely on wishes and dreams? You can rely on the sure and certain promises of God. There you will see him just as he told you, and he keeps all of his promises. You can trust him. Are you longing for forgiveness? To be unburdened from your load of guilt? Leave your sin in his empty tomb. Are you grieving the loss of someone you loved? Find in Jesus' empty grave the promise that we too shall live. Do you have doubts and uncertainty in your life? Are you looking for something you can believe in, something you can count on? Here it is. He lives just as he said. This is the difference Easter makes in our lives. Verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The reaction of these women is maybe not what you expected. Trembling? Fear? Running away? Saying nothing to anyone? Or maybe it's exactly what you expected. If you witnessed a friend brutally murdered on a Friday, and there was no doubt your friend was dead, if you even witnessed the body being buried that same day, and then an angel appears to you on Sunday and says, no, your friend's alive, he rose from the dead, wouldn't you be a little shook up? It will take time for the truth to sink in. And when it does, great joy will gradually overtake this great fear. And they will eventually do what the angel tells them to do. They will find the disciples and report what they have seen and heard. If you are using the NIV Bible, you will now find a note from the editor which reads, The earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. Were verses 9 through 20 written by Mark? Well, this podcast is not the place for a full discussion of that question, but a brief explanation may be helpful. We do not have the original document handwritten by Mark. 
what we have is copies, thousands of copies. Because these copies are handwritten, there are sometimes, rarely, but sometimes there are mistakes. And, and these mistakes are almost always easily spotted because of the large number of copies we have. For example, if 99 copies have one reading and just one copy has a different reading, it's easy to tell which one is mistaken. The NAV editors have decided if there is not complete certainty on one of these textual questions, they will put a note at the bottom of the page, or in this case, in the middle of the text. If you were to look through your entire NIV Bible at all these notes that are on the bottom of the page, you would see that not one teaching of Scripture is in doubt because of these verses in question. Another point is that I, I would argue that the NIV editors in this instance have overstated the case with their statement, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses. The fact is, only two of the oldest manuscripts do not have verses 9 through 20. The others, and there are many others, do include it. And yes, it's true, some ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20, but again, the majority do. So, my own opinion is that verses 9 through 20 were written by Mark and are part of the inspired text. But, I also recognize that conservative, Bible-believing scholars have made good arguments on both sides of the debate. So, we'll leave it at that. If you have further questions or concerns about this, I'd encourage you to reach out to me. Verse 9. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. In typical Mark fashion, he briefly describes three of Jesus' resurrection appearances. Each is covered in much greater detail in other gospel accounts. But these personal, individual encounters demonstrate how important each one of us is to the Savior. Jesus didn't just go to the streets of Jerusalem and, and show the, the, the mighty and the powerful that he was alive. No, he, he went to his dear disciples, sometimes individually, to show them he's alive. The first was Mary Magdalene. Next, the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, verse 12. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. The reaction of those who had been with Jesus, that is, the twelve disciples, to these resurrection reports, they did not believe them. Verse 14, Later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. They should have known. They were the ones who had been with Jesus. They had seen his miracles. They knew what he was able to do. And they had heard his teaching that said he would rise from the grave and he would go ahead of them into Galilee. If they had been listening, they would have run out to the tomb on Easter morning, ready to rejoice that it was empty. Instead, they're cowering in fear and don't believe the witnesses. We have to marvel at Jesus' patience as he comes to them with his word of peace. Just as today, we still marvel 
at his patience with us frightened and doubting disciples today. But in love and patience, he comes to us in his reassuring word in sacrament. Verse 15, Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Jesus had accomplished our salvation, but now that story needed to be told. The good news needed to go out so that others would hear and believe. No longer would circumcision be the entrance into the family of God. No, now in baptism, Jesus would bring individuals his grace. But there's a warning here too. Those who refuse to believe, for them there is no salvation outside of Christ. Jesus promises he will give them certain credentials as they go out to spread his word. Examples of the fulfillment of this promise are found throughout the book of Acts. These these gifts, these signs that Jesus enabled his apostles to do, they've served their purpose. Those who stress these things today sadly often ignore the gospel. Today, it is the written word that serves as the credentials of Jesus' ambassadors. Verse 19. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Who do you say that I am? was the question Jesus raised in chapter 8. Here, Jesus answers the question as he ascends to the right hand of the Father. He is both our Savior and our King, and as such, he sits at God's right hand. These final words of Mark's Gospel are a summary of what the apostles did and what the church is still to be doing today, what we are to be about. We go out everywhere and proclaim the gospel. And as we do so, Jesus is no idle partner, no bystander. He's an active participant as he keeps his promise, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus, help us to be busy with the work you have given us, proclaiming your gospel truth. And help us to listen to your word, that we may serve you well and be found in the faith when you come again. Amen. That concludes our study of Mark. Do we take a break at this this point and take a few weeks off? Or do we continue next week with the study of Lamentations, which we're going to be taking up in our adult Bible study on Sunday mornings? Let me know what you think. You can text me at 513-600-9568. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.